Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 12-14-2022, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time we have this evening. We're grateful for life, health, and strength, and we pray, Father, as we are in the world with all of its ups and downs and troubles, we pray for our preservation here. And we pray for those who are sick among us. Father, you know the names, they're on our hearts. Those whom we care about. We're praying for them this evening. Also, Father, we're also praying for those who are having financial difficulties. You know the names there as well. And we pray, we're putting them before you as well, Father. So as we begin our study this evening in Romans 11, we pray for wisdom. We pray to see your plan unfold before us as we examine those passages of Scripture that are important for us to see tonight. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right, all right. So... As you know, we have been studying in Romans chapter 11, and we are in verse 28 today. So we're going to get right into it. We got a few notes. Hopefully you should have notes in front of you. And uh, Romans 11, 28 reads, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. Reviewing Romans chapter 10, we saw Israel's major problem front and center by their refusal to believe in Christ before he came and when he came, they lacked the power that should have attended their witness in the world. The apostle was clear, quote, But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? That's in Romans 10, 16. As the church is now the witness of God in the world, we must make sure we understand and believe the good news. So that thought to me is first things first. Uh, We could talk about a lot of different things, but if we don't have the gospel as our foundation, we obviously will fail. Israel did, so would we, if that is the case. When I say we, I don't just mean our local church. I mean the church universal. That is everybody, everywhere, in the world at this point who is alive and a believer in Christ. So we're going to get right into it. We have another interesting verse, which is a classic verse. I just want to, by way of some introduction, point out to you that these verses that are before us are very pivotal and instructive. And what I mean by that is you will find that the theology that we have uh, often uh, lends itself to uh, particular scriptures. 
And these scriptures that we have in front of us go a long way in demonstrating the things that we have been saying about uh, dispensations, Israel, the church, a lot of these things that are not sorted out among Christians are found here. Some of the verses that we stand on are here. So it's, it is nice for you to know these verses, to be familiar with what is in front of you, because when it comes time for you to look at uh, these things, when you're witnessing or talking to someone, you will find here, here it is, right here in these verses where God said it. Right? So there are classic verses here, but not classic in the sense that just everybody knows them, but classic for us because these are verses that are pivotal to our understanding. So let's get right into it. We're going to break this down into some phrases. The first phrase, as far as the gospel is concerned. First thought, a previous verse spoke of a time when all Israel will be saved. That's the previous verse. I, should, I said, uh, but it's the previous verse, which is verse 27. And, and so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. I will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And you, you know the verse. We covered it last week. So we're just picking up the context there to say that uh, until then, national Israel is still asleep. So this is just a point to make the point of where we are in the context. Paul is speaking about the time in verse 27 where Israel goes, uh, well, actually, the church, the church leaves and Israel comes into God's focus. So when Paul is, in the previous verse, that's what he was dealing with when he says, uh, let's just read the previous verse. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Um, and so that presupposes that the church is gone because God has turned his direction toward Israel now and all Israel will be saved. But at the current time, since the church is still on the ground, Israel is still asleep. And what do I mean by asleep? It means Verse 8 and 9 in Romans 11, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they could not see, ears that they could not hear, to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. So Israel is sleeping. That's what's going on. That's where we are right now. Even though Paul may talk about a time where that transition takes place, this is where we are. Point B, the gospel, as far as the gospel is concerned, well, I know you know what the gospel is, the Greek word for it. It's euangelion. And that word uh, means a good message. That is the gospel. <laughs> this is the word. It's good message, good news, right? Good tidings. There's other, if you look at Thayer, Thayer has a lot more meaning. I didn't want to go into great detail since this is such a common word. Uh, everybody knows that this word is 
the good news, right? We, so it's a very common thought. But I wanted to put the word before you so you know, literally, the word means good news. So, which is where I get the thought of bad news. If there's good news, then there must have been some bad news that it counters. And so it is. That is the case. The good news supersedes the, the bad news, and we are left with the good news. So that's great. Just wanted to throw that before you. Point C, we're moving forward. The greatest problem Israel had was to refuse to believe the gospel. Now, we, we can see this in a lot of passages in Romans chapter 10. Paul makes that point. But he does. there's no better way to make it than he does in those first four verses. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them, they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. What a problem for Israel. Christ is the end or culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. <laughs> for, for them to be God's nation, his priest nation to the world, with the primary job of giving the gospel, they failed at receiving the gospel themselves. That's quite interesting to think about. Uh, point D so we were just talking about their relationship with the gospel. Israel's relationship with the gospel would change. So uh, I remember as we were in chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, and we were talking about Israel. We had just come out of nine. Tough statements were made about Israel. But in chapter 10, I wanted to bring balance, especially in chapter 11. And that is to say, even though Israel failed miserably, horribly. We know that they're going to succeed. Israel will have a future. That's an interesting thought because there are theologies out there that say they don't. So you should know from the scriptures, from where we stand, Israel has a future. I want to look at a couple of verses, which not that we never covered them, but in this, with this in mind. Well, the first is uh, Revelation 7.3. Here's the difference. We, we talked about, and all Israel will be saved, right? That's how he says it in Romans 11. But here in Re uh, Revelation 7.3, it says, Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. So n they went from enemies, which we didn't get to enemies yet. We, we didn't get to, to all the sleeping and how their tail is, their, their table will become a retribution and all of that. We saw that to the point where now it says they are servants of God. That's believers. But just to note, right, if you scroll down, you notice there was a great multitude um, and, and this is all in chapter 7, right? That came out of, these are they, this is verse 14 I'm looking at. I answered, sir, you know, he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. 
Therefore they are born uh, before the throne of God and serve him day or night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence and so forth. So we are definitely talking about believers here. That's the thought. And then Revelation 12 and 17, you've seen this verse many times. The dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to, to war, wage war, against the rest of her offspring. So the woman is Israel. The rest of her offspring are the last part of the descendants, you could say, or the remnant of Israel. The, who are they? What are the characteristics they have? Those who keep God's commands. They're still under the Mosaic Law as a way of life and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. This is why they're in the new, under the new covenant to Israel for this seven-year period, and obviously the, the millennium will come uh, right after, on the heels of the end of the tribulation. So um, hold, they believe in Christ, hold fast their testimony about Jesus, they believe in Christ, and they're under the Mosaic Law. This is Israel back on the scene, doing their thing on the earth, which is being a priest nation to God. So it's going to change, even though we know, we may say, oh, they're enemies for, for your sakes. Yes, but they, things will change for Israel. We are not to think Israel is going to be doomed forever, and that you know how we can see them now is the way we must see them in the future. Wrong. So th that's the point to make. Point E, this is one E where we are. The gospel was critical for Israel. And I contend it is critical for the church. So we're just getting warmed up with as far as the gospel is concerned. Just to note how critical it was. Israel, the reason they failed, the reason they had these major problems within the nation of Israel is because of this particular point, the gospel. They failed. And when I say they failed in the, in the introduction, they failed before the cross, before Christ came. They, they had already shifted uh, from grace to uh, worshiping or, or trying to, to keep the law for justification, for their being right with God. They thought, okay, well, we'll keep the law. So that was an insult to grace, which was God's way. Grace was God's way even in the Old Testament. And the word that was on the, should have been on their lips to go to Gentiles was grace. And they refused to, to talk about it. They refused. So if that's not critical for the church, I don't know what else is. How could we, as a church... And when I say church, I'm talking about the church universal. How could we go out in the world with something on our lips other than grace? We should not, I should say, because plenty of people are. They're concerned about uh, con Christian conduct, how the world does not match what God's shown us in the Bible in terms of Christian conduct. This is all, all these things are on their minds. When God wants us to have on our lips that he is not counting their sins against them. And he has committed to us this message to the world. 
So we're not, as far as I'm concerned, here, we want to make sure, even though we can't say what the, the church universal is doing, but we can say what we're doing and what is it we understand as important uh, to us is to make sure that we fight, fight for this message. It's critical. And that is the gospel. Learn it, know it, understand it inside out so that you can be a witness for God. All right, let's keep going. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. Enemies. So let's talk about who the players are. The they, who, are, who is they? If you look in context, it refers to national Israel. They are said to be enemies. That's a tough statement. That's rough. If somebody says that you're their enemy, that that's you know, I felt I felt like for God to say this to us was, was pretty open and out front. When as we get to the end of this uh, chapter, when he talks about he loves Israel, he love as far as the election is concerned, they are loved. <laughs> but here he's telling us straight. Right now, what we have to deal with is the fact that they're going to be antagonistic towards us. Point B, let's just define enemies just so we know what it means or what the thought is. It means to hate. Hatefully, that is, passive, passively odious or, or actively hostile towards us. Usually, as a noun, an adversary especially Satan, the enemy, the foe, right, of the church. Who's going to be fighting against us? <clears throat> it's our enemies. So that's a tough word for God to use, but he used it in this context about national Israel. So we're not going to make a mistake to think that we're going to buddy up with them and somehow um, become friends with them. No, they're going to be sleeping. National Israel will not wake up until the church is gone. Just remember. And as far as that is concerned, they're enemies. And on our account, for us, with what they have to do with us, they hate us. Yeah. And why do they hate us? They hate us because of the gospel. Let's get into it a little more. Point C. For your sake, right? They are enemies for your sake. Who's your in context? It refers to the church. Or if we look at the context Paul is, re is, is referencing, Gentiles. Why does he use Gentiles? We already said because he's not talking about national Israel. And that's how the Jews saw the rest of the world. Gentiles. Everybody else is Gentiles. Well, God, Paul, as we know, is referring to the church in this context. So when he says they are enemies for your sake. So let's put it all together. Let's just review what some of, some of these phrases have brought us already. And so that's point one. Israel is in a state of slumber to the present time. So we discussed that. We know as long as they're in this sleeping state, they're going to hate us. They're going to be enemies. They're going to hate the gospel. This is not something that we have the power to change. Now, some individual 
Jews certainly can and do believe in Christ. But as far as the nation Israel, they will not. That is not, they're not going to come around while the church is still on the ground. There won't be any conflict with who's God's called, called who, who are the called visible people on the earth? Is it the church? Is it Israel? No, there's not going to be that confusion. Once the church leaves, God will turn his attention to Israel. So they're in a state of slumber right now, and that's where they are. Two, largely because they refuse to believe in Christ before the cross. Now, I'm going to, there's a lot here in Acts 7.51. This is a verse you know we have been to a lot of times. But I keep finding more information in here that's relevant. So they refuse to believe in Christ before the cross. This is significant. Look at 51. You stiff-necked people. This is tough language. Well, we know what happens to Stephen after he, he finishes his speech. Uh, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. So you, you could talk about Israel and how they saw circumcision as so important. Well, their hearts and ears were uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. So now this is something they are, um, are repeating that their ancestors were involved in, and that is you always resist the Holy Spirit. What was the Holy Spirit's job primarily for Israel? is to get them, to empower them, to go out and be God's priest nation, to equip them, whatever it was they needed, to equip this, these people so they could go out to the, uh, as a nation among nations, to the world, Give the gospel of grace. That's, and yet, not only did they not believe the gospel, but they resisted the Holy Spirit. Tough. It's pretty tough. And so, so largely because they refused to believe in Christ before the cross, we saw it was a pattern of resistance that their ancestors had also um, in, uh, uh, maintained. And, and they rejected and crucified their, their Messiah. So now, when Christ did show up, and they were rejecting him and depending on the law prior to this, now they rejected him to his face. And not only that, they crucified him. Their Messiah, the Savior of the world, who we also know is the creator of all things. <laughs> we could go into John 1 to talk about who Christ was and what, how they regarded him, and so forth. Horrible to think about. That they treated, abused the Lord of glory in such horrible, common ways. So they rejected and crucified him. And John 1.11 says, He came to that which was his own. Those who should have been familiar with him. Those who should, should have known who he was. But his own did not receive him. And that's, the, that's putting it lightly to say they did not receive him. They crucified him. Point three. They refused to believe the gospel and their constant resistance of the Holy Spirit caused them to hate the gospel. So it's sort of just like uh, Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. 
by God's continuing to show mercy to Pharaoh by telling him, let my people go. And Pharaoh would say, okay, okay, I'll let them go. And then after the, the plagues got so hot, Pharaoh would say, okay, God, I'm not, I'm going back on my word. I'm not letting them go. And they went back and forth with this nine times. And, and so by God revealing himself to, to Pharaoh in this way, it was an act of mercy. He was telling Pharaoh that he could have just took his people if he, and leveled Egypt if he wanted to, but he didn't. He used Pharaoh's resistance against him. In the end, even the wrath of man will praise God. We, we can see how God, we cannot, there's no way we can win when it comes to uh, thwarting the eternal purpose of God. We cannot. So uh, they refused and they developed an attitude of hate. And the more God showed up to Pharaoh, the harder his heart became. And eventually, the sight of God, the sight of Moses and God's and going back to Pharaoh, angered Pharaoh. And finally, it was, it was done with the firstborn. Point four. In Acts 7.52, this is just the scripture. This is, we read 51. 52 said, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now, you have betrayed and murdered him. This is a tough talk for Stephen. You have betrayed the righteous one and murdered him. I like the way he says the righteous one. The only way we can become righteous is through the work of Christ on our behalf. And yet they murdered the righteous one. Wow. So this shows you the anger and hatred that is in their heart, the hostility that they had uh, against the gospel. Now, when we say it against the gospel, well, Christ is the gospel. He is the provision of God. When we talk about the gospel, you have to talk about Christ because there's no other way we can see good news apart from the person of Christ. He is the gospel you might as well say. So we got the bad news in the first Adam and we got the gospel in the last Adam. Point five in our notes. If the church is now to bear the message of the gospel, national Israel would be our enemies. They would certainly. And I got 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. Uh, there's a point here to make, even though I know you, you know these passages inside out. Five, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Now here's the part. I know we already know that part is important that I read, but this part. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God, for him to do that, he put us in the ministry. He put us, uh, he's he, he given us the ambassadorship to go out and to preach this message. Can we do it? 
Israel couldn't. They didn't have the courage to go out and preach grace in this world. Can we go out in this world with these words on our lips? First thing God wants us to know, he's not counting our sins against them, against the world, because Christ paid for the sins of the whole world. He says, we're therefore God's ambassadors, as, as though God were making his appeal through us. It is as though we are God's mouthpiece in the world. Just like Israel was the nation, the priest nation of God to the other nations. Well, we are. Uh, God makes his appeal to the world through us. That's the position we have as ambassadors. So the words that we speak, literally, should be the words that God wants us to speak. It shouldn't be just our own. First Peter chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Um, 10, actually. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Here we go. Verse 11. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Now, I just need to stop at that point right there. If you're going to speak for God, you need to speak God's word. Right? That sounds easy, right? But when I go back to the verse in 2 Corinthians 5, and there it is, he says, uh, in verse 20, we are Christ's ambassadors, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. There it is. We have to speak the very words of God. That means we ought to tell the world God's not counting their sins against them. And we implore you on Christ's behalf that you can be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. These are the words of reconciliation. We are ministers that God is using in this world to tell them this message. Well, you know, when you tell people this message, the world is not going to like it. Israel is going to be, they're your enemies. And we should know Israel dogged the church. And several, the, 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 the years that we have recorded for us in the Bible, well, Israel not only put Christ crucified, their, their, their Christ, but all the disciples were persecuted. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was one who persecuted the church. And we'll get to that hopefully a little, little bit later as we get into this a little more. So those points, those, those five points, are where we are thus far. Point E in our notes, we're still in 2E. They will continue to be enemies until God, right? This is what he will have to do, turn godlessness away from Jacob. That's Romans eleven twenty six. That's gonna be a pivotal point, but we don't turn to Israel and think, okay, Israel, you're our friends now. This is not, <laughs> there are enemies, right? This is why is he telling us this? He's telling us this so we know how to respond to Israel in this world. And we're not to respond with hatred. We'll, we'll get into that. But 
we know, we don't want to be fooled about the fact that Israel is against us, that they do not believe the gospel. They do not believe that Jesus is the Christ. And they were willing to persecute and bring hatred to the church and those who believe the message. The early church was certainly persecuted as well. So they're going to continue to be enemies. Point F, the Apostle Paul certainly understood how much Israel hated the church. He understood it. I want to just read Acts 9, 1 and 2 just to get a profile on Paul a little bit. So it says in 9, 1, Meanwhile, Saul, whom he was known as Saul, was still breathing out, look at this, murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters uh, to the synagogues in Damascus so that he, if, if he found any there who belonged to the way, now notice the way is what the early church was called, the way. Right? Uh, we could say, well, what is the way? Well, Christ is the way, right? But this, this, is, this is how they characterized themselves in the early church. Whether men or... This is, he wanted to bring them to court, to Jerusalem, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And we know what happens when they got to Jerusalem. If they would stand trial, and if they did not prevail, they could be put to death, just like Stephen was. So who was he mad at? Look at who he was mad at. Do you, do you see who, who, the, the thought? He was mad at the Lord's disciples. And who was the murderous threats against? Them. So he went rounding up anybody with whom they have influence over. That it would be the church. That would be us. Imagine that. Uh, and Paul was in the camp of national Israel. He was taking people back to the leadership of Israel to be prosecuted. I just remember John 17, 20, I, uh, where he says, I am not praying for them alone, but also for those who believe in me through their message all of them may be one father even just as you are in me and I am in you and so forth so notice those disciples uh, you can look at them and you can see us as a result of their ministry we have believed on Christ through their message and so that threat was against the foundation of the church so Saul thought he could just stamp out this aberration, this blight on, uh, on, on the earth, we could just remove it like someone would remove a wart or something. We could get rid of it and then we'll be done with it. And that's what his thought was. Well, if we have to kill them all, if we have to cause them disruption, if we were to recant, whatever we have to do, we have to get rid of this uh, sect called the way. That was murderous threats. Can you imagine? So now, all of a sudden, somebody turns around and says, hey, oh, by the way, Saul is now called Paul, and he's no longer antagonistic towards us. Yeah, people would say, yeah, right. 
we believe that. No way. But that was the truth. God was able to turn that man around. Paul changed his mind, believed in Christ. Imagine that. Paul. Anyway, let's keep going. Point number three. But as far as election is concerned, okay? As we consider the state of Israel, we must see them in the light of God's plan and not to return evil for evil. So God is saying that, yeah, Israel is an enemy. It's like that whole way we could say it. We say, on the one hand, this. On the other hand, that. That's how this is sort of playing out. On the one hand, you could say, as far as the gospel is concerned, they're they're enemies for your sake. On the other hand, we could say, but the elect, as far as the election is concerned, well, they are loved on the account of the patriarchs. So right now, we want to think about the election, just to understand, as we consider the state of Israel, we must see them in the light of God's plan and not return evil for evil. So in Romans 12, 21, let's look at that. There, there's a couple of verses that talk about our conduct. And it's important. Do not be overcome with evil or by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a couple of verses that deal with evil. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. So and another one in 16, live in harmony, harmony with uh, one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil and so forth. So this is important about how, even though there are enemies, um, even Christ says in um, the Beatitudes, uh, uh, I say to you, love your enemies and do good to those who despitefully use you. The good that we are supposed to do, the good is the gospel. We are here to do good, to do good works. God called us for this very purpose, to do good. So when people treat us wrong and bad and evil and uh, undercut us and all that, we have to, in our mind, think about why we're here. This is how we should begin to think about it. Why are we here? We're here to do good. We're here as a witness to God. We're here as ambassadors. Not everybody will believe. Some people will persecute us. We, we should know, uh, but we are here for good. And these are the instructions we have when evil and, and enemies do rear their ugly heads. Point B, we can see that God's calling will not fail. It may look like there is no life in Israel. And when we think about that, Ezekiel 37. I want to turn to Ezekiel. We haven't read, uh, let's see, Ezekiel. Let's just look at this real quick. 37. And we're going to look at a couple verses here. Yeah. Okay. So this is about the bones, the dry bones. You probably have heard this before. Um, One through five. The hand of the Lord was on me. 
And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of, the, of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. So when I think about that, I think about Israel sleeping, dry bones. Not only are they're not passive when it comes to the gospel. That's not the case. They're actively hating it and antagonistic toward it, just like the Apostle Paul. But how can that be turned around when you think about it? That's like what God told Ezekiel to go out into this valley and all these dried up bones were there. It's medically impossible that this would, God uh, could bring these bones back to life, but everything is possible when it comes to God. So we should know that whatever it looks like, however bad it is for Israel, they will fulfill God's purpose for which they have been called. We have to know that that and trust, even, listen, God does. God is trusting that. He says, but as far as the election is concerned, <laughs> let me tell you, they're loved on the account of the patriarchs. So God trusts that Israel will be restored. He knows they will just as he promised. Point C, this is 3C where we are. The church is also elect, but for a different purpose. And we should know that in John 17, 16, where he talks about, I am not of the world any more than they are part of the world. We are not part of the world. Our calling is a heavenly calling. Israel's calling is an earthly calling. They're supposed to be down here. They're supposed to be a nation among nations, God's priest nation among nations. So that they are supposed to be in the world. But as far as we are concerned, the world is not our home. We don't belong down here. God has chosen us out of the world. So these are things that let us know that we have a different purpose before God completely. Uh, Even if we just consider that one feature of of who we are. We're not of the world. They are of the world. It tells us we have a different purpose than that of Israel. And Ephesians 3, 8 through 11 talks about that God's eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. So we're not going to cover that. We covered it a lot. So we're going to head on to point number four. Let's cover this. And they are loved on the account, on account of the patriarchs. So we have here two elections right in front of us, Israel and the church. Both are precious to God, and it does not matter how bad they fail. We saw how bad Israel failed. I don't know if there's a a way that we could fail so horribly that it will be worse than what happened with Israel. I don't know. Perhaps, but I don't know if that could ever be so. They failed miserably. I mean, to the point where when Christ did come, they crucified him. They, and they were, 
it was common for they did not want to hear from God. They killed the prophets. This was a part of the Stephen said, Was there ever a prophet that you did not kill? You even murdered Christ. So talk about bad. To murder God's prophets is to say, we don't want to hear anything from you, God. I mean, prophet is God's mouthpiece. And then so what do you do? You shut his mouth by killing his prophets. Israel did not want to hear anything from God. And then when, well, I, I keep saying it, we already know, it was bad. So point uh, B, God formed the nation Israel, Israel through the patriarchs. Go to, we're going to go to Romans 9 and 5 through 12, just so we understand what it means, God, according to the patriarchs and so forth. So it says, um, verse 5, theirs, he's talking about Israel, right? Theirs is the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God, overall, forever praised, amen. It is not as though God's word had fa failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are descendants are they all Abraham's children. Here we go. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So we already have Abraham. And now God is saying, he's, he chose Abraham. Now he's choosing Isaac. And we, we already know how the ups and downs with Ishmael and Eliezer and all the ways that they tried to circumvent God's plan. God said, nope, it's going to be through Isaac that the offspring will be reckoned. And in verse 8, in other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. So the, the children referring to Isaac, and then as we're going to see, Jacob. For this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children uh, were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. So there you have God's election, God's calling. Yeah, it was supposed, if they tried to go, go against Isaac, God said, no, it's Isaac. This is my call. I am choosing them. They tried to, Esau had the birthright. No, God says it's going to be Jacob, right? So this is what he means by God chose the patriarchs. And what, what do we mean by the patriarchs? The patriarchs are the foundation of the nation Israel. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's the foundation of Israel. It's just like when we, Talk about, well, what is the founding of this country? We could say, oh, it's the Constitution, 1776, whatever. But this is the found, founding of this nation, Israel. It is through the calling of these particular patriarchs. So point, um, point D, point D, uh, no, I'm sorry, point C, they are loved. So what is it? we already talked about what it meant they are loved, and we're looking at the phrase in Romans 11 where it says they are loved on account of the patriarch. 
Loved means God the Father chose them. Just like it meant when he, when he says he loves Christ, he chose Christ. Right? He's the Son. And then he chose us in him. Right? He loves us in love. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. That's in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. So love here, from God the Father's standpoint, is him investing in us. Him choosing us. That is what it means, right? So God the Father chose them. In them, he has invested his earthly plan. And that's what he did. Nation among nations, priest nation. So Jeremiah 31, verse 37. We read the new covenant last week from here, but I wanted to read this again so we could be sure. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth be searched out well, I reject all the descendants of Israel because, listen to this, because of all they have done, declares the Lord. There's no way you can search if the heavens can be measured. We, we can't, we, even if we, we have these super uh, powerful telescopes, we are only seeing a very small portion of the heavens above. We are just as, and, and, and in the time when this is written, you couldn't even, you could only see what the eye could see. But now, even though we still have these powerful telescopes, we still can't see very far into the universe. It's comparatively speaking, as far as the universe is vast. The heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, which we cannot do. He says, if that can be done, I will reject the descendants of Israel for all, all they have done. God will never cast Israel away. Never. That should give us some confidence as well about who he is when it comes to his word. Point E, even though they crucified the Messiah, God would not dishonor his word. What, we have, what, we, what would we have done if that was us? Would we have gone back if somebody did such terrible things to us? Matthew 21, 33 through 41. What would we have done uh, is the question. 33, we read this parable before. We're talking about the tenants, the parable of the tenants. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized the servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned the third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will, they will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Now this is what we would do. <laughs> this is what they would do, but I still say it is also how we would respond. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. 
they, will, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give his share of the crop at the harvest time. This is the Pharisees, right? Christ, Christ talked about this. He says, no, you, haven't you heard about the stone the builders rejected? But if you go down to verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about, him, about them. So they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So this is to say, no matter what, even though they, we would, this is like God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. Point F, God loved his enemies. That's the only thing we could say. He loved his enemies. And we are told to do the same. Romans 5.10 says, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Yeah. We were enemies at one point. We were antagonistic to God. We spurned his grace. We did all that. And yet, God never turned his back. He never did anything but offer his hand of grace and mercy towards us. So we are told, love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Don't hold it against them from that standpoint. We are here to do good. And so we're going to stop right now. But we have much more to cover next week as the verse in context continues. But we're going to open it, open the floor for some Q&A to see if there are any thoughts. I'm over six minutes. So let's... I stole six minutes of your time. The floor is open. Questions out there? Well, if there are no questions, I'll pause. Just to, we'll give it a little time. See if uh... yeah, I, I will comment. Sure, it sounds like you were saying that Paul uh, hated Israel because of their because of their unbelief. Um, what I was, I think, I was trying to say. I'm not sure what I said. <laughs> I think I was trying to say that Saul hated the church, right? And so he he breathed out these murderous threats to the, the Lord's disciples. He figured, we already killed Christ, we're going to kill the disciples now, right? This is common. This is what people did in, back in their day to quell a, uh, a disruptive force that came along, right? Uh, an uprising, they would not only kill a leader, but they would kill all those who were followers. <clears throat> so that they not only cut off the head, but the root as well. I'm not sure if I said something about Paul hating. What did I say he hated? What? It, it, it sounded like Israel. <laughs> Paul hated Israel. Something like that. It, it sounded like. 
life. I could be wrong. Unsure. I... But, but on, 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 yeah, on another question, though. So, my brother Paul, Paul knew that God had gave him special revelation because he even said in his discourse that he was a herald of the church when it came to the mystery. Right? Yes. So, Paul had some understanding of what God had bestowed upon him. Okay, so when he said these things, was he saying it to Israel or was he just saying it to the body of believers? Was he saying what? Well, the fact that God gave him special revelation, um, and I guess what I'm getting at is, so Paul has some special understanding about what he had received. And he understood that God took the Jew and the Gentile and made one new creation in Christ. Right? Yes. certain like when he was speaking because it wasn't Paul who said all these things we know all these things from the combination of the, from the books of the Bible so everything that we have understood that Paul knew or, or happened during this period didn't necessarily come from Paul on Paul's lips but getting back to Paul there's no or, or, or that's what I'm, I'm trying to figure out how come so much of Israel didn't understand and, or or how come Paul didn't go to Israel to to give them understanding? Now we know that Paul went to the Gentiles and John and uh, went to yeah Paul no Paul yeah, no Paul went to the Gentiles and John went to Israel. It seems like right. Yes. I mean, that was the plan. If you look in Galatians, that Paul would go to Gentiles and uh, Peter and others would go to the Jews. However, it, it wasn't just as simple as that. Uh, Paul did go to the Gentiles, for sure. He did fulfill his purpose. But he also went to the Jews. Yeah. I mean, you could just read where Paul did go to the to the Jews, he he was very intent. He thought he understood what the message was, and he thought he could assist. He was a Pharisee, so he he certainly had a, a point of view, and he, he wanted to make it known. If you just look at, um, there's several scriptures about Paul going into synagogues. And if he says synagogue, that's where you would find Jews. Uh, but also Gentiles came to synagogues as well. But uh, the, the Jews were the ones that Paul was after. So in Acts chapter um, 13, 15, after reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, brothers, I have a word of exhortation from the people. Uh, 1342, that is. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. At Iconium, this is 14.1, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. 
And so you could see Paul was very, Acts 17, 1, when Paul and his companions went through Amphilopius. Boy, don't get me messed up here, Bill. <laughs> uh, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Uh, Paul, Paul's cus, as, it, as was Paul's custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, Acts 17, 2. So yeah, yeah he, he didn't only go to the Gentiles, but he definitely did, but he definitely went to the Jews as well. He made a point. Now, we don't have a tremendous record of Peter, James, and John, and Matthew, and others going to, you know, what their ministry was. We have most of the books in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul. 13 of the 27, 20, 27 books were written by the Apostle Paul. So, uh, so there we have the most testimony. Yeah, I just think he went, you know, it wasn't only that. But I think what I was saying was that Paul, earlier, I'm just trying to think back to your original point, that Paul hated the church at one point because he was part of the Israel that was enemies to the church. He was part of that. So at some, one point in his life, he turned around and was uh, changed his mind and believed in Christ and, and, and was on Christ's side. But prior to that, remember, he was on the other side, which was the enemy side. But go ahead, Bill. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm familiar with that, but uh, I, mean, I guess I'm not going to go back and say <laughs> but I, It sounds like you said Israel. I don't know if he hated the fact that they weren't um, converting I just don't see where where Paul through um, the scriptures talking to Israel, where he, he gave them not that they didn't have it. They don't have. I'm not giving Israel no excuse for not believing. I just don't see where where Paul um, diligently. And I, I shouldn't use that word because he did he everything he did he did for the Lord, and I'm sure he was guided diligently. It just doesn't show a lot of emphasis. Coming from Paul to um, to convert Israel, knowing that Paul had so much uh, understanding of what God had had shown him that he didn't show the other disciples. It's just it's just putting it up like we we had we had it all because so, we have all the books, so we can put it all together. And I'm not sure if Paul understood it all to be able to just put it all together the way that we can now because we have the full canon of scripture. So not to take anything away from Paul, but I just don't I don't see where Paul himself was able to just put it all together and bring it to the to, to Israel in a way that we have it. Well, part of the way we have it the way we have it is because of the Apostle Paul. Um, I wouldn't say the only reason we have what we have today is because of him but a large part of it and um, I I don't know I just think from my standpoint Paul everybody he met I like what he says in Romans he says I 
Because the way I treat it, I owe Greeks and Jews. Paul, that's how he saw it. And when he went to them, those synagogues, what he was doing was preaching the gospel. He, was, he wasn't just saying, let me tell you Christ this. He was showing them from the Old Testament scriptures. He was preaching Christ with this Old Testament scriptures that they knew. He was showing that Jesus is the Christ. So he was, to talk about the mystery is, I wouldn't say irrelevant, but I would say it, they're putting the cart before the horse. Now, we, we talk about putting the cart before the horse when it comes to uh, people putting, trying to do works for salvation. We've talked about it in that context. But there's another putting the cart before the horse is if you try to tell somebody about the mystery age and all this information about who we are in Christ and all that before they get salvation. So the first objective that we have is to teach the gospel. As we know the scripture in 1 Timothy <coughs> chapter 2, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a full knowledge of the truth. Yeah, that would be the mystery age, right? Uh, help them orient to the age they live in. But the first objective is always the gospel. And we look at Paul contending with all of these people in the synagogue. This, I tell you what, do this. And maybe I'm not fully understanding your question, that could be, but use your concordance, type in the word synagogue, and go to Acts, and look at all the times you see where Paul went into the synagogue. Now, what I don't see is Peter going into the synagogue. And James, I can see if you said that, right? <laughs> but you, you picked on the wrong one here. You picked on the Apostle Paul. Nothing but him from all going into the synagogue. I'm not picking on Paul. No, no, no. But, but for you to say what you said... I would say, well, wait a minute. Where's Peter going into the synagogue? Where's he at? I don't see Peter or James or John or some of, you know, but I do, I see Paul and Barnabas headed there numerous times. And then one, even one after, one week after another, going into the synagogue. And this is where believers were. Even a lot of the Jews who, uh, you have you have a mix a mixed multitude after some Jews believed that you that Jesus was the Christ, but they refused to believe that the Mosaic law was not in force. So that's why they wanted believers yeah, gonna, to be circumcised. Yeah, I was gonna speak I was gonna speak on that a little bit too. And just not thinking about the Israel again. But but just like um we speak to a lot of a lot of people, and 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 they could be saved, but they just haven't come to understand uh, who they are in Christ. Even though you know we can't condemn them, we can't say you know we don't have a heaven or hell to put anybody in. But a lot of times we say that person could be saved. Well, don't we? Yeah, I, I don't. I, yes, the answer is yes. I would say we we don't know who's saved and who's not. However. Uh, I don't so know. Could we say, I, well, well, the reason why I brought that up is couldn't we say the same thing for some of those that Paul was speaking to uh, during that period? 
they like you like her because you had just made a statement similar to, to my to my to my thoughts when you said that um they they believed in Christ but they didn't they didn't necessarily believe that the, the Mosaic law was was abolished. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yes. The answer is yes. There so, were those who. So, so would, would that would, would that condemn them? Would that keep them out of the church? No. It, it keeps them ignorant, though. That's what it would do. It would keep them ignorant of their calling. Right? So we, just like we were, we were discussing callings, we saw the, clearly the calling of Israel, the election. God says, I'm not going to forget what I promised those patriarchs and established the nation Israel. I called them. I foreknew them. Right? And so we also are dealing with the calling of the church. So Israel didn't understand their responsibility and it's possible that there could be some in the church who are saved and don't understand their responsibility. I say it's possible. <laughs> you look around, and you will see. Right. We have a lot of that around here. Yeah, so, all so you got to do is look around. Even then, even though they didn't look like they came came over to the to the right conclusion or side, they can wind up in the church and be wondering how they got there. Yeah, well, I think for people, I don't. You know, the understanding about grace and how God is very particular when it came, when it comes to salvation by grace. The Holy Spirit is going to work with people to the point where he can get them to believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. Just like John says, I'm writing these things that you might, that you, you, could see, you saw the works and you know that who Jesus is, that you put your faith in him and so forth. And you will have eternal life. I would hope I would hope that people are saved and because uh, if they're not and they're you know trying to behave as Israel did then that's failure Israel rejected the Holy Spirit they rejected the gospel I think the same thing is going on in the church people are resisting the Holy Spirit and rejecting the gospel as well. The gospel that they have is one where works are at the forefront of their relationship with God. They're saying to God, God, I know I'm saved because, and they can list some of the things that they are and, or do. And no, those people are not saved and they will not see life and the wrath of God continues to remain on them. <laughs> so... So it just reminds me of a scripture where, where I think it's in the gospel, uh, in the Testament somewhere, it talks about, um, I think it was Bible Paul who even made a statement. He said he was running a good race who cut in on you. Galatians, yeah. So, so those people were saved, right? I think, I think so, yeah. I believe, I believe that they were saved. Paul does, or the Corinthians, you could say. They were horrible in the way they lived the Christian life, but Paul never questions their salvation. Uh, the Galatians, he got pretty tough with them because they had begun under grace and all that, but then they wanted to think that they could keep the law and become more perfect. They were trying to, there were these Judaizers who were trying to get them to go back to serving the Mosaic law, be circumcised and keep the law and all that. Paul stood up and said, "No, I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to stand for that." And 
about the ones that he maybe didn't captivate, but they 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 did start off running a good race. And those are the individuals that I'm saying that it made them church, right? Even though they never understood the whole yeah church age. Yeah, all of that God will... Still, still, still working under the law. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm thinking God, he will sort all that out if they're believers at the judgment seat of Christ. They will, you know, that's when they will learn. We don't, we don't, we're not rewarded because we believed in Christ. That's grace. That's a gift. So we're rewarded for works of service. And so if they don't have any... Obviously, that's that's when um, the rubber will hit the road for their understanding, and they will know who they are and what they what choices right. they made. Yeah. Well, I'm saying when Christ come back for the church, He's gonna come back for them too. Absolutely, yeah. Because listen, we we could be well. Even think about it. You you were saved, but you didn't have the knowledge of the the full knowledge of the truth. You you didn't know all the detail that you have now. But it took humility on your part. It took diligence for you to be rewarded with this information. And that's what it takes for everybody. And for those, God will reward them. So some people are not going to be rewarded. They're not going to have enough humility to be able to say, I care about what God cares about. I want to learn. Their lives are filled with their agendas. And that's going to be their number one. What, what's important to them, not what, what is important to God. So um, that's why I say God will sort all that out. I can't sort it out. We can't. We can know that the, the disparities exist where pe- there are people in the church who don't know, uh, you know what their calling is. Uh, and and that's said part of our job as ambassadors for Christ is not only to tell them what the gospel is but if we can is to help lead them to the full knowledge of the truth it depends on what your gifts are you know what you uh, what you can do in Christ what you've been gifted to do so part of that obviously is it, it is the objective. Even if it is not your gifting, it is your objective to come to the full knowledge of the truth and to foster or facilitate that spirit so that others can come to the knowledge of the truth as well. But we, we can't obviously make people come. This is, this is a free will choice when it comes to coming to know this information. And that's why growing up, we will be rewarded because it takes part of our decision and our decision making in order to, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Yeah, I'll pause. Yeah, thanks for the, the thought. Yeah, I appreciate it. Other thoughts out there before we wrap this up? All right, I hear quiet. All right, well, we'll save, I save you two minutes.
<laughs> you're yielding back two minutes to me. Okay, that's fine. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We're so grateful for the unfolding of your calling and how we can understand and see the two calls in human history, the church and Israel. We thank you, Father, for choosing us for this age and the privileges that we have in Christ. We pray for those around us, Father. Make make a way for us as we're in this world uh, so that we can be those ambassadors, those ministers of reconciliation where we can speak a word for Christ. And we pray for those who are in our sphere of influence that we uh, may have different sets of circumstances where we can talk to them and uh, where the door will be open in their lives to hear the words about Christ. So Father, we pray for this church in particular, Word is Truth Christian Church. We pray for Word of Truth Christian Church. Uh, Father, all those churches out there who are holding forth the word of light. And so this is important that we keep the, the knowledge of the truth, the foundation that we have so that we can go out to a dying world and spread the gospel. Tell people about the good news. All of this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. 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 Amen.